Good morning, Terra Nova. Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg for no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the member of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will be escaped if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for for God is a consuming fire. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Nancy, and good morning, everybody. Good morning. You hear me okay? Yes. Wonderful. Are we feeling grateful yet? Thanksgiving coming up? If you're not, that's okay. Hopefully digging into the Word can, can help that. This is, a, this is a passage that screams reasons we have to be grateful this morning. And I want to reiterate what I said last week. If you're here and, you, and this coming Thursday you're thinking that there's no one to celebrate Thanksgiving with, and you don't like that, please feel free, see me right after the service, and I'll make sure to connect to you so that's not the case. So we don't want anyone uh, being alone. So how many of us are travelers? You would really say, I enjoy traveling. Okay. All right, quite a bit. Not as many as I would have thought. Anna and I are definitely in that category. We love to travel. We love to explore. We love to learn about new cultures and places and really immerse ourselves in that. But our faith affects this desire that we have. It's not a desperate desire. We don't have the the thought that if we don't see all these places we'd like to go visit before we die, then that's a tragic loss. Our faith affects our desire here because we believe that a better city, a better 
home, a better kingdom is coming. And in the end, we really don't miss out on anything because of the truth of God's coming kingdom. But I think the human desire to explore and to see like sights of beauty and of wonder and mystery and learning about new cultures and creatures around the world, that's, it's a good and healthy desire. And it's led to many very creative people inventing places that exemplify some of these things. It's led to many books and movies that express this desire, like, like Neverland or Emerald City or Wakanda or Hogwarts. Or Cloud City, Lothlorien, Monstropolis, Asgard. I'm going to end with that one because it's Norwegian, and I like that one the most probably. Um, But all of these incredible creative places, I believe, is a longing that we have for something better, a better world, a better kingdom. And we read about that better world, that better kingdom that's coming, and that is God's kingdom. But before we get digging into the passage, a little bit of background, we are almost done with Hebrews. After today's passage in chapter 12, we have one more chapter to go, chapter 13. But we're not going to finish it anytime soon, really, because next Sunday is the beginning of Advent. Can you believe it already? Yep, that's what we're doing. So next Sunday, first week of Advent. Last year, uh, I decided to shake things up a bit, maybe a little bit too much for some of you with doing a a theme that we haven't seen before with Advent, with Christophanies, appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament leading up to the incarnation. Uh, So this year we're going to do something a bit more familiar, even though it's been several years since we've done it, we're going to go through peace, hope, joy, love, what what we all long for, what can be found uh, in Jesus and Christmas Eve we will of course talk about of Jesus. So you can look forward to that beginning next week when we get into Advent. But in today's passage, ending chapter 12, it, is a, it, is, it looks like a bit of a conclusion in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 13 talks about some practical everyday living out what, is, what does a worshipful life of serving God and, and living in his kingdom now look like, and he gives some just practical examples in chapter 13. But at the end of chapter 12, There's this climactic piecing together in the passage we just read of many of what we've been talking about throughout Hebrews, that Jesus is better. He's the better leader. He's the better mediator. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the whole old covenant itself, which we're going to see here exemplified, shown, symbolized in two Mountains. Jesus is better. He's superior. We've heard it throughout Hebrews. Don't turn back to, for the first century Hebrews, don't turn back to Judaism. For us, the very clear message, don't turn back to anything that you lived for before Christ. He is worth it. He is superior. He is worthy. So don't turn away. Press in harder into life in Christ. Don't turn back. And so if, if we would have a main idea, which we do, for this passage in chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, it's this. Let Christ, enabling us to enter his unshakable kingdom, lead to grateful worship. That's what we see in this passage. Let Christ, enabling us to enter his unshakable kingdom, lead to grateful worship. There is a place that we long for, a kingdom a home, 
a city that will last, that will not fade away. And it's found in his kingdom. So for the roadmap, we see, first of all, in the first several verses, verses 18 through 24, I'm calling it the tale of two mountains. He contrasts Mount Sinai with the children of Israel approaching God before Christ in the Old Covenant, and now Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. What is it like approaching God after what Christ has done, part of the new covenant? And there's a very big difference that we, that we will see. Um, and for that first point, for, this, for the majority of the message, in contrasting these two mountains, if you go into your app, the Terra Nova app, you will find, Krista put together for us, um, immediately you should see a picture, you might have to refresh it, but there'll be a picture of these two mountains, which I think represents really well what this passage is saying. And there's also a chance if you'd like to take notes in, in the app there as well. But the tale of two mountains, verses 18 through 24, and then there will be the final warning. Remember, as we've, go, as we've been going through Hebrews, lifting up Jesus, see how he's superior and better, and then a warning, don't turn away from him. And that's in verses 25 through 29, the last climactic warning in, in the book. So there's where we're going. Verses 18 through 24, we start the tale of two mountains. It starts with Mount Sinai. Look again at verses 18 through 21. This was the mountain that, that the law was given to Moses to give the people the Ten Commandments and the 603 additional laws of what it meant to follow God and represent God to the nations. And what was it like approaching him at that mountain, Mount Sinai? He tells us, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So, this first mountain, Mount Sinai, it shows us what was it like to approach God before Jesus. Before the new covenant of his broken body and blood spilt out for us to make it possible for us to approach God. The answer is, it was, it was scary. It was, it was pretty terrifying for them. I don't remember exactly learning this growing up, learning about the Mount Sinai experience and the Ten Commandments. I don't remember hearing like how, how scary of an, of an experience that would have been, that was for the Israelites. That even Moses, even the person standing in the gap between God and the people of God, who had a close relationship with God, Intimate with God, friends with God, the scripture says. Even he was afraid of approaching God. I want to read to you more specifically what it says about this account uh, in Exodus, when it, where, where it happened. And leading up to the Israelites approaching God at Mount Sinai, God told Moses to prepare the Israelites. Tell them to get ready, they're about to meet God. And so what was going to happen was a theophany, a visible manifestation of God to the people. And so he tells them how to get ready, and then here's what we read about what happens in Exodus 19, 16 through 20. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. 
Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Can you imagine that? The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. You get seeing a little bit the picture of this? Fire and smoke wrapping around, engulfing the whole mountain with smoke that was dense and billowing all around, created a, a dark, a thick, deep darkness around the mountain, and they hear this loud, increasingly loud voice. And on top of all of that, there's a tempest that's a violent, windy storm. This is what the people of God, before Christ, saw, experienced when they were approaching where God dwelt as they approached God. It was scary. Why was it scary? It's not because God is trying to be mean. That's not why it was scary. It's not because God wants to be unapproachable to us. That's not the reason either. In fact, we, what we read about from, from ex- exactly when the fall happened in Genesis 3, look at the rest of the story of God through pain and effort bridging the gap between God and man, between divinity and humanity. After the fall, after sin and turning again, turning away from God, there has been this infinite gap between us and him because he is holy and we are not. And he is pure and we are not. What happened after Adam and Eve sinned? When God enters into the garden, visibly right there with them, what do they do? They cover themselves up. They're ashamed. They're afraid. They know there's, some, there's something fundamentally different now. There's something fundamentally flawed in them, and they're fr- afraid and ashamed to be in the presence of God. But God would work to bridge that gap. What does he do in Genesis 3? Kills an animal, covers them up, covers them. The shedding of blood to cover them temporarily. In the Old Covenant, like we've been reading through Hebrews, there were these persistent yearly sacrifices to cover, to forgive temporarily, imperfectly, the people of God that they may approach and dwell with God. But that was never the end of the plan, as we've, as we've seen. There would be a permanent, once and for all, covering. Permanent, once and for all, forgiveness by the blood, not of an animal, not of Moses, not of an angel even, but of God the Son. Hebrews 10 said, by a single offering, by a single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being made into the image of Jesus. He would bridge the gap. Sinai was terrifying because Jesus hadn't done that yet. We have not come to Mount Sinai. Here's getting into some of the reasons to be, to be grateful, to be thankful this morning. Why? Because of Jesus. And he'll tell us specifically that in a minute. But we come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. Look at Mount Zion, verses 22 to 23. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, 
and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It's like, what a list, is it not? What, a, what an awesome, truly awesome, awe-filling, awe-inspiring, sobering, incredible list that's describing his kingdom, the heavenly Jerusalem that we get to be participants of, that we one day he will bring fully here on earth. What does he say? It's the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You got to go to Revelation 21 to get a fuller description of what he's talking about. So I'm just going to read that for you this morning. Revelation 21, both verses 1 through 4 and 9 through 11. What is this heavenly Jerusalem that he's talking about? What is that going to look like? What is that going to be like? He tells us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. Verses 9 through 11 says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Then he goes on to explain more about the description of this, this city, this new heavenly Jerusalem that God is going to usher in at the end. Mount Zion, the city of the living God. This is what we have to look forward to. What else? Innumerable angels in festal gathering. Festal gathering could be translated joyful assembly. The idea is the angels are getting dressed up, as many as the eye can see, in order to get ready to enter in the people of God. They're putting on their, 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 festal, their, their, their clothes to, to get ready to party. That's the, that's the picture he's given. And I can't help but wonder, what do they look like? <laughs> what are they normally dressed like? And what are they dressed like now to, and to welcome in the people of God? But it's the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels in festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I believe this is referring to all believers throughout all of history, most of which are not alive right now, that will be there for this occasion, whose names have been written, enrolled, permanently inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, with innumerable angels and festal gathering, with the assembly, same word for church, assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and God the judge of all. God's going to be there. Is that not the best part? (laughs) God's going to be there. God the judge of all. Of all, And we hear God, the judge of all, we, those whose names who have been inscribed in the book of life, those who have simply said no to self, yes 
as in, I have, I am impure, I am unholy, I do need you, Jesus, to do what you did, to live and to die for me, and you put your trust in him, you can know your name is written. You can know there's no condemnation. You can know God the judge is the judge who's gonna get, who grants you forgiveness and reconciliation. That's the judgment for believers. God the judge of all. We see the contrast of, so far, of Mount Zion and Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was terrifying and gloomy and doomy and ominous. Doomy's not a word, but it was ominous. And it was unapproachable. The unapproachable holiness of God. And now Mount Zion, the welcoming, healing, cleansing, approachable God. And the angels getting ready to celebrate with what God has done to reconcile the world and his people back to himself. And we've said it, and he says it very clearly here, why, is, why the difference? Why can we now approach boldly the throne of grace without fear to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need? Why is it no longer terrifying to approach God? 50% of the time, what's the answer? Jesus. There it is. Verse 24. You know who else is there? Jesus. God the Son, the crowning glory in the new Jerusalem, the mediator of a new covenant. The mediator. That's, remember earlier in Hebrew, the go-between. When you have a mediator, it means there's conflict. It means there's lack of peace between two parties. And Moses couldn't fix or heal that division. He couldn't bridge the gap. Michael the archangel couldn't do it. Nobody could do it except God. And God came here to do it, to get the job done. Jesus became our mediator. He's the one who stood in the gap between God and us, who made it possible for us to approach God and have peace with God because of his life and death for us. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. What did he do? It says, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does that mean? Abel was killed by his older brother. And his blood, God said, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. His blood was still speaking, still pleading. And as his blood may, may have been calling out for vengeance, for God to do something about it, in the very least, Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. A better word than the blood of Abel. Why can we approach God in this way without fear, boldly, thankfully, joyfully, as children, as the bride of Christ? Why do we have anything to look forward to? Because Jesus is our mediator. Because Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel. Because Jesus is better. So, as we've seen throughout, there's all the, the buildup of the superiority of Jesus and 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 all the reasons to, of course, live for him rather than anything else. Keep him first. Don't turn away from, any, from, any, from him to anything or anyone else. It leads to the final last warning in the book saying just that. Don't turn away from him. Verses 25 through 29, the final warning. Look first at verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. If you remember back in Hebrews 1, it, he told us that 
in, in the past, God had spoken to his people in, in various forms. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And he's saying here that God, his voice here in Hebrews 12, don't turn away from what God the son is saying. Don't turn from him. If, mo- if the people of God during the Old Covenant, found themselves in dire trouble if they turned away or didn't listen to the words of Moses, of Moses, how much worse off, how much more accountability, how much more coming judgment should those expect who have turned away, rejected, ignored, refused the voice of the very Son of God? That's what he's he's telling all of us. That's what we see. He wants us to listen to him. And for those who don't, judge, like judgment, not, not God the judge we just read about, the approachable who's going to grant forgiveness and reconciliation, but the judge who will do what to those who reject the son? It says in Revelation 20, 15, anyone whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, who have not confessed their sins and believe in Jesus, what's the destiny for them? to be thrown, cast into the lake of fire. How much worse for those who reject the very voice of God. So, of course, my prayer and my hope is that not a single person would find themselves in that boat who have rejected, who have refused, who have not embraced this free gift of Christ. It's like he's bought the $12 trillion safe bunker mansion, and he says, here's the key. It's all there, and we just say, forget it. (laughs) I don't want that to be any of us. So if you have never said yes to Christ, let this be the day. Let it be the day you cry out to him and accept the free gifts, the costly price that Christ did so that you can have free access to God, forgiveness, reconciliation, and all of that to be part of his heavenly kingdom. And let's not find ourselves among those who have nothing to hold on to when the final shaking happens, and that's verses 26 through 27. At that time, talking about Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. Remember, the whole mountain trembled, it said. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. What is he saying? He's saying, God is going to shake things up. He is. When he spoke at Mount Sinai and the mountain shook, the world shook at the presence, at the voice of God, he's saying not only will there be an earthquake when he speaks in that way again, when he comes in, in, in power, but the whole universe, there's going to be a heaven quake when everything that can be shaken, everything that is temporary, everything that is transient, everything that is secondary, everything that is second rate will fall away. It will not last. Everything that is sand and dust in our lives will fall away. And only that which is rooted in the gospel, rooted in Christ, everything that is built upon the foundation 
of Christ and Christ alone, that will last, that will stand, and that will shine all the more brightly. The New American Commentary says, those who seek their security in created things will share in the dissolution of the created order, in the final shakeup, while God's pilgrim people who accept hardships in full trust in God as their security will be vindicated. Theirs will be a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Are we not all looking for something that will last? Are we not all trying to live for what actually matters at the end of the day, at the end of it all? I, I, we, we all want that. We all want what will not fade away. And so maybe a prayer we can pray today, either where you're sitting or if you want to find someone in the corner after the service to pray with, they'll be there ready to pray with you. Maybe a prayer we could pray today in all humility and sincerity would be, God, whatever you need to shake in my life, whatever you need to rattle up for me, so that, that earlier as we read, whatever, whatever weight that's holding me back, whatever sin that clings so closely, do what you have to do, whatever it is, so that I can live for what actually matters. Shake me up if you need to. And it might seem unloving to pray for people you know and you care about, who you realize, man, God, I know God needs to shake them a bit. <laughs> you know? It's not wrong to pray that way, too. I have prayed so many times for people I care about, as much as I think humanly possible for my heart to care about, God, whatever you have to do, whatever you have to do, please do it. And one way of praying that is, God, would you shake us so that what will last will remain, so that we can be actually fixed on Christ in our short lives here. The kingdom of God. We can approach God not with fear, not with dread, not with even concern as we saw before Christ came at Mount Sinai, but that same holy, all-consuming, awesome, powerful God that we, that we will encounter in that way, we can come boldly to him now and when the final king, when he, when he comes to set up his kingdom once and for all because of what Jesus has done. What greater reason is there to celebrate? What, what greater reason is there to be grateful today and every day? So look at verses 28 through 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We can be grateful that what we really long for, lasting life, a lasting place to belong to, to thrive in, lasting relationships, lasting purpose and meaning, all of that is found in Christ. All of that is given to us through faith, through a confident trust in his word. If you feel it or not, no matter the consequences, no matter the circumstances, it's ours through Christ, his kingdom. It's given. What did Jesus say? It pleases the Father to give you the kingdom. He wants to give it to us. And we will be with God, visibly present, the all-consuming fire himself. What does it mean that God's an all-consuming fire? 
It means that the holiness we read about God throughout the whole Bible before leading up to Jesus, that doesn't go away. He's not a different person. He's still holy. He's still pure. He's still perfect. He's still awesome. He's still powerful. But Jesus has made this living way, this living path through his life and death and resurrection for us to be with the consuming fire himself. That's what it means. We will be welcomed into his breathtaking kingdom. Isaiah asked a question that I think about sometimes. He said, who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Who among us can dwell with God, the consuming fire himself? And the answer is, all of us can because of the gospel. What a reason to be grateful. We have, I'm sure, many reasons you can think of sitting around the the table this coming Thanksgiving to be thankful both now, but also for all that we have to look forward to because of what God has said. And so my hope, my prayer, and praying for you guys this week is that, that that gratitude will be noticed by the people around you. Whether you feel it or not, whether the, the, the item on your to-do list is checked off or not, whatever's going on in your life, he says we can be thankful always. And I pray that that thankfulness is contagious to those around us. Let me pray. Father, you are set apart. There is none like you. You are utterly unique. Who else can create everything by his word? Nobody. Nobody. Only you, Lord. Who else could come up with this world, these, these people that you've made, the animals you've made, the oceans you've made, the heavens you've made, the angels you've made, this story that you've put together that we get to be part of, no one else but you, Lord. You are an all-consuming fire. And God, while it might be scary to think that no, nothing impure, nothing imperfect can dwell with you, can be around you, we're not afraid because of Jesus. We're not afraid because you made a way, you bridged the gap, you came for us. You rescued us, you reconciled us. And now we have this unimaginable reason to be thankful. Your kingdom that will not fade. Your kingdom described again in Daniel 2 that will take over every other kingdom and will last forever, will be here. Heaven and earth united with you, God, with Jesus, the mediator of this new covenant whose blood speaks a better word than Abel, blood of mercy and forgiveness, to bring us into your kingdom, God. Awaken in us an excitement for that. Awaken again, Lord, our imagination to think about that, to to dwell on that, not just to hear it one, one ear, out the other ear, forget about it. Help us think about it, Lord, and meditate on it. Help us think about heavenly things so that we can be of some good here on earth. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.